following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Well, we are um, coming to the end of our study on the armor of God from Ephesians 6. Um, this has been a wonderful study, I think. I've had to stop and think longer and harder about these things I think I ever have uh, from passage I've read quite a few times uh, in my walk with the Lord. Um, and the last, for the last few weeks, I've tried uh, uh, to bring us, um, I don't know what the right word is, to try to look harder at these things so that... Um, so that we move beyond just our uh, anecdotal understanding of the armor of God, that is, uh, it's more than just an easily marketable symbol or uh, image that we can put on our wall plaques and inspirational calendars and things like that. Um, and the wonderful truth that should not have been a mystery is that the armor of God is real and is available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. It's ours. It's not like we have to reach a higher level of spiritual understanding and live on a mountaintop in a hut. But it's available to us now. Parts of it we already have on and we can take off anyway. Uh, but we still don't think about it and neglect those things. But the armor of God is real, and it is ours. So let's read our text in Ephesians 6. We'll read um, uh, verse 10 through 17. That's a page, the same page we've been on for the last month, 979 in a few Bibles. And we'll consider the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the armor that you have given to us that we may withstand the schemes of the, the enemy in the evil day in which we live. 
we pray now, Lord, that as we look real hard at these things, that your spirits would open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear and soften our hearts to receive the truth and that we may know the armor that you have given to us is ours for the taking. And it is very useful in this time in which we live. So we pray, Lord, that we would know more, not just about you, but know you more because of what you have provided for us this morning. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Ephesians 6 is not the first time that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote about the armor of God. Um, now, you uh, remember that our studies together have been in the letters of Paul in the order in which they were originally received, right? And that's not the same order that they are arranged in the Bible, Uh they're arranged by literary category, so all of Paul's letters are together, and they are uh, placed in order of length, which I guess makes sense-ish to somebody, which not me. This, so we've been doing this in chronological order. Now, for those of you who have been here right along, do you remember what the first one was? We've only been doing this for like three years, really. Sam, do you remember? What? The Bible, Moses, Jerusalem? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, it's, all right. So uh, we start with uh, Galatians and First and Second Thessalonians, all written right about the same time. Uh, and then, um, let's see if I remember. <laughs> First and Second Corinthians after that, and then Romans. Uh, and we were in Romans for a very long time. And now Ephesians, and fortunately, the next two are in chronological order, uh, Philippians and Colossians. So that would be predictable. Anyway, so we know that Romans was written before Ephesians. Paul wrote in Romans 13, he mentions the armor of light. I don't know if you remember that or not. I don't. In Second Corinthians 6, which comes... Uh, which was before Romans, but comes after it in our Bibles. He referred to the weapons of righteousness for our hands. But the first time Paul uses this picture of the armor of God is one of his very first letters to the church, and that's the first letter to the Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. It says in First Thessalonians 5, 8, it says, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, why is it important that that comes first, uh, chronologically? It's because when Paul finally gets to write to the Ephesians, he's developing the picture even more. You see, based on something he said before, uh, and explain it a little bit more. I think this is just as... Uh, scholarly note, I guess, but um, they say that Scripture interprets Scripture. And, it's, and uh, something that's written before doesn't explain something that come after. But something come after can explain something said before. Right? So Paul says the helmet of the hope of salvation before 
And so he's talking about the armor of God now. He's developing the picture. He's explaining a little bit more about what he's talking about. Does that make sense? When you go in reverse, it's like you see the answers and then the test. I don't, I don't know. Forget it. Whatever. Yeah, we'll trust the Holy Spirit with that mess, whatever that was. Okay, so the, hel- uh, the helmet is the hope of salvation. Uh, this is the same helmet, the helmet of the hope of salvation they wrote about in our text this morning. Excuse me. Now we must remember that the first three pieces of the armor of God, the belt of truth or the girdle of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace are put on each Christian. They've been placed on you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. When you trust the Lord Jesus with your sin, he places this armor on you. He places the Holy Spirit in you and this armor on you. These first three pieces. Because when we trust in Christ, we are clothed with Christ. He is the truth fastened around our waist. He is our righteousness buckled over our chest. And he is our peace in place on our feet. And our faith in him, our trust in him, not just for salvation but for living, is our shield. And we talked about that last week. The shield of faith, that massive shield, two feet wide and four feet long and a hand's breadth thick, is our defense against the flaming darts of the enemy. Darts, in case you are wondering, uh, arrows or darts. I can't see you saying darts back there. <laughs> I don't know where you're from. I talk like a mainer. Um, all right. Uh, this, uh, the shield is our defense against, uh, against the devil's uh, flaming arrows. His lies, which is what those arrows are, those darts are, his lies are extinguished by our trust in God, our trust in who God is and what he has done and what he has said. Not just our belief in him, but our trust in him to direct our lives. But when you think about this massive shield, the massive shield that is our faith. Our temptation, I think, is to hide behind it. I mean, like, really hide behind it. Like, cower behind it. Have you ever found yourself hiding behind your faith? Just uh, not in an attempt to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy, but just to hide away from the world to disconnect from them and what they have to say. I don't want to tell you this story, which means I should. When I was in high school, I hid behind my faith a lot of that. I found out in English class, now this is not advice for you, those of you who are still in high school and taking English, but I found out that we could 
get out of reading certain books um, in English class if they went against our religious beliefs. I don't know if they still do this in school or not. I learned that I could avoid reading The Catcher in the Rye. And all I had to do was tell the teacher that my parents objected to it. Well, that's an easy decision, isn't it? I started reading the book like everybody else. My parents could care less. But it's a really boring book. I, for a 15-year-old kid, for me anyway, it was, that was tough. So I thought the book was boring, so I told my teacher, and my parents did want me to read it. That was easy, and that worked very well. Didn't question it at all. So when it came time in the same class to read Siddhartha, well, I can't read that either. <laughs> this time I used my faith, quote-unquote, as a shield to hide behind simply because I didn't even want to read the book. I didn't care what it was about. I didn't care about Buddhist this or that. It didn't. I still haven't read it, so I don't even know what it's about. <laughs> no, I didn't ask either, believe me. I just said in my class, I'm a Christian. I can't read this book. And I got away with that with a teacher. There's a lot of other people in my class who knew me a little bit better than poor old Mr. Burns. And I got called out. I was, call, I was called out by one of my classmates because my behavior outside of class did not, ref, uh, did not uh, line up with my claims in class. I was a hypocrite, and everybody but poor old Mr. Burns knew it. <clears throat> I'm grateful for that experience. I learned... To not do that again. <laughs> that I shouldn't do that again. At least not to try. But all of this is why it's so important for a Christian, a follower of Christ, not just a cultural expression, but a true follower of Jesus Christ, to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. I believe this is why I come after the shield of faith. When you think about it, a warrior cowering behind his shield is not going to stand his ground. He's going to get pounded into the ground. He's just going to get beaten down to nothing because the enemy is not going to give up. He's just going to keep whacking that shield until your arm breaks and you drop it. And that's what the devil wants. You want to be a Christian? Fine. You want to hide behind your faith? Please go right ahead, the devil says. Because you're not going to beat me. I'm going to beat you. I'll beat you down to a pulp. He wants us to just hide under our shield because when we do that, we don't do any good. We can't do anything at all. We're just hiding. We're completely irrelevant to the rest of the world. We don't share the gospel with the world because we're afraid to go out in it. This world's a messy, dirty place. We stay safe and clean and useless under our shield. We don't stand our ground. We don't resist the enemy. We neglect our duty. 
and we curl up and wait to die. This is what happened when we neglect the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So why does the helmet of salvation change this scenario? Now, without a helmet on the battlefield, one good blow to the head, the warrior is done. Toast. Headshot. You're out of the game. I don't... It may not be much good anymore, but I keep my brain in my head, and that's what a helmet covers, just in case you are unaware. It covers your head, where your brains are kept, and your eyeballs are. And now, not only is a helmet protection for our brains, but it allows the warrior to use his eyes, or her eyes. This is important. It's very tending well, uh, Paul used the helmet of salvation because he's talking about protecting the mind and the thinking and all that. Maybe, but not in this sermon. The helmet of salvation allows the warrior to use their eyes. As a warrior, wear a helmet, not fear for the protection of our head now. Guess what we get to do with that shield? We get to look out over the top of it and see our enemy in the face. We can see his attacks coming, and we can prepare for them. Not only that, but we can see beyond our enemy, beyond his present attacks, beyond his present wiles to his final destruction. See, we have the book, and we know how it ends. If you read it, and don't use any excuse like your parents won't let you. Fight as we might, as warriors for Christ, we will not destroy the devil. Okay? So let's just make that clear. You fight and fight and fight to your last breath. But you, you will not defeat the devil. But that doesn't matter because he's already defeated. He's just spinning his wheels until a day comes. Our role is not to destroy the devil. Our role is to stand our ground and resist him. Mm. But the beauty of the helmet of salvation is the hope that comes with it. And that's why Paul called a helmet in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, the helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, how important is this? And how often do we neglect this thought? Charles Hodge wrote that that which adorns and protects the Christian, the helmet, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved. But this is a confusing thought, I think, because we think, well, I, come, I put my faith, my faith in Christ. I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm a saved. Presently. Right? No. <laughs> Our salvation is yet to come. We are sealed for the day of salvation. We are set aside. A place is reserved for us in God's eternal kingdom. So in that way, yes, we are saved. We are set apart. But is our salvation yet complete? 
well, it gets a little more theological, a little tricky, because our salvation is yet to come. We have the hope of salvation because we have the hope that one day Jesus is going to come back and the fight is over. We don't have to worry about stand our ground anymore. Does it make sense? Our salvation is in God's eternal kingdom, the kingdom that is already and not yet at the same time. So wrap your brain around that. (laughs) The hope of that salvation that we have is that on the day that the trumpet blows and the clouds roll back and we stand before our Savior Jesus and to see him face to face, that we get welcomed into his kingdom. That's the completion of our salvation, right? Our salvation was bought and paid for on the cross, our place in his kingdom. And only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, do we have a present and future hope. That's our salvation. Now, it's no wonder that despite what I've already said about your minds, it's no wonder the hope of salvation is a helmet and not like an elbow pad or something. Because discouragement and doubt and despair and fear, they all start in our minds. And they all start to creep in when our eyes are down. When our focus is on people and the circumstances and ourselves and not in the power of God to change things, not in the power of God to fight off the enemy, not in the power of God to show us the victory in the distance, that we can keep fighting until that day comes. Now I'll tell you, I struggle with depression, not for real, not just feel sad one day. But when that comes, it's because my eyes are down. I think about myself. I think about my trouble. I won't use the expression I use with my kids who are in mixed company. But when your head is lodged in that place, you can't see what God is really doing. It's it's down and dark and there's nothing for you to see that's good. But that's exactly what the enemy wants. Well, that's enough of that. We have the hope of salvation to look beyond our enemy at the victory that the Lord has already won. And they say, uh, how's that go when the devil reminds you of your past? Simply remind him of his future. Take that, you jerk. You're going to lake of fire. I'm going to the kingdom of God. Now leave me alone. I don't belong to you anymore. Now we have another piece of armor. Well, it's not too, well. Depending on how broad your definition is. Shut up and preach. We've been given one weapon with which to fight. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We've not been given a spear to throw. Uh, although sometimes we do, right? We've not been given a bow to shoot from a distance. 
typey, typey, typey on the internet, you're wrong and Jesus is mad at you. That's what the Facebook is for. We have not been given a weapon like that. We've been given a sword because our fight is up close and personal. Now, last week I said that the problem with using the, the very easily marketable picture of an English knight when it comes to the armor of God is that an English knight, his shield is too small and his sword is too big. He's got a good sized shield, sure, but it's not big enough. It's not thick enough. It's not strong enough. And he's got this great big long sword that you can't hold his shield and swing it around because it's too big. We've been given a sword by the Holy Spirit that he made for us, the Word of God. Now, this sword is not like the long sword of the English knight. It's a short sword. The word is used uh, for sword here. It's also used for dagger. Uh, dagger. Not sword. Not the lightsaber or something like that short sword and it's something that we can both attack and defend ourselves with but only up close Jesus gives us the best and most personal example of the sword of the spirit which is the word of God Uh, it shows us how it's used in Luke chapter 4 verse 1 through 13 I'll read that to you And Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You know a picture I get in that? It's just ching, 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 ching. It's a devil. The devil is attacking and Jesus defending himself with the word of God. And give him a little poke. And, and, and he stood his ground. Stood his ground. Just like we are commanded to do. We fended off the enemy with the sword of the Spirit. I think it's important to note there that the devil also uses Scripture. 
He says, it is written. Right? It's the Lord. It's Colin. <laughs> ching, ching. Right? Sword of the Spirit. Keep the Word of God on your phone. Right? To fight off the enemy. I don't remember what I was saying. Silence your cell phones in the future. Satan uses the word of God, right? He says it is written, blah, 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 blah. Right? What, did, what does he do? Take one verse out of context and twist it around. That doesn't happen today, does it? You never hear about that. That's why it's important we know our sword better. Right? Even our friends will try to use scripture against us. We need to know it better. I remember having a conversation with a friend when I was in art school about the Lord. And I was clumsily trying to make a case for the gospel and making some reference to the Bible when my friend says to me, can't, how can you believe the Bible? You can't trust it. It's full of contradictions. Very common argument against the Bible. But at that time, I didn't know that his statement was false. He says, Bible's full of contradictions. I was left with, yeah, but Jesus loves you. This I know the song says so. That's all I had. I didn't really say that. I should have. He would have really laughed. <laughs> I didn't know his statement was false. He believed it was true, and I didn't know the Bible well enough to say that he wasn't. Now, at least, I know that if someone tells me the Bible is full, is full of contradictions, it's as simple as saying, okay, show me one. I'll believe you, because they don't know either. They just don't want to talk about it anymore. I can't believe that it's full of contradictions. Can you point to one? Good luck. Scholars are still trying. It's not happened yet. A lot of smart people, smarter than me, still can't find them. The point is, if we are to fend off our real enemy, not flesh and blood, Satan, our real enemy, who knows God's word too, we must know what the Bible really says. Satan uses the word twisted. He tries to change the meaning of the word to enslave people and get them to reject God and his grace. He's not just trying to get people to sin. He's trying to get them to reject God. We can easily replace good, a relationship with our Holy Father, with religion. As long as I show up to church every week and I put my money in the plate and I take communion and I'm baptized, I'm okay, right? No. You need to know the Lord Jesus. You need to trust him. You need to have a real relationship with him. Look, you show up here every week. Wonderful. It's good to see you. But if you come here without the Lord Jesus and you leave here without the Lord Jesus, you might as well stay home. Now, I don't want you to do that. I want you to keep coming so you hear the word of God so that you will know the Lord Jesus, your Savior in person. But we can so easily replace that relationship with him with empty religion. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. But the devil does. You want to be religious? Go ahead. You want to make people angry by thumping them with your Bible? Go for it. He loved that. 
because all you do is try to spread religion in not, not a relationship with the Lord Jesus. The devil wants us to believe things that are not true about God our Father and things that are not true about ourselves. And if we don't know what the Bible has to say about who God our Father really is and what he has done for us and who we really are and how God relates to us, we don't stand much chance of fighting him off at all. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now I tell you, listen very closely. Owning a sword is not the same as being able to use a sword. Okay? Owning a copy of the sword of the Spirit is not enough. The Word of God the Bible is not a good luck charm, like as if, it, it, if good fortune will come your way if you have at least one in your house. Uh, it's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a statue of Buddha or, a, or a, a little statue you bury in the backyard so you can find a lost thing. That's not what the Bible is. We... We need to get the word of God into us, into our hearts. We need to think about it and to chew on it and to memorize it and, and, and write post-it notes with scripture on your bathroom mirror so that you see them and they're staring you in the face every morning, no matter how bad you look when you first wake up. We need to... to we need to know God's word so that we can measure the statements of the enemy. We need, to, we need to know that his claims are false, but not just because, well, we know the devil is a liar and he's only full of lies and that's it, so if he says it must be wrong. Well, that's true, but you need to know the truth. There's another side to that coin. We need to know God's word so that we can measure the statements and claims that the enemy makes against us in all his wily schemes. Listen to the words of King David in Psalm 3 when he's being chased by his own son, Absalom. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. In Jesus, God has given us everything we need.
to stand our ground. To stand against the enemy as we await for the Lord's return. Jesus himself is the truth buckled around our waist. He himself is our righteousness guarding our hearts. He himself is our peace with good equipping our feet. He himself is the substance and sustainer of our faith, our shield. He himself is our hope protecting our minds like a helmet. And he himself is the spirit who has given us the word of God as his sword. So then, let us be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your many blessings to us, the blessings you've given us in the heavenly realms when you saved us and set us apart for, and made a place for us in your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you promise you're going to prepare a place for us and that you will come back and get us. We thank you for that hope that we know that uh, uh, by your grace, through faith in you, we have been saved and a place reserved for us in your kingdom. We thank you for the hope that we have, looking forward to that day, knowing that on judgment day we have nothing to fear because our sin has been dealt with and we stand white as snow in the presence of the Lord. Though our sins were like scarlet, they are white as wool. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us so that we would know you and know the truth about who you are and what you've done and what, how you feel about us and what you have done for us, who we really are. That even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That we would have the hope of salvation. And Father, as we think about this armor, may we not neglect it. And not just lean it up in the corner and allow it to collect dust or hide underneath our shield and be no earthly good and do no good for your kingdom. But may we stand, look our enemy in the face, and defend ourselves with the word of God and beat him back so he'll leave us alone knowing that the day is coming, that his fate is sealed. His destruction is on the way, as is our salvation. We thank you for that glorious hope. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.